We're actually going to start at the beginning of chapter 3, even though we covered the first few verses last week. So let's do that right now. You're welcome to read along in your bulletin. It's behind me on the screen. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah for the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn his, from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Yay. Yay and amen. This morning, I want to talk about grace. But to do that, um, we're going to need to just backtrack a little bit. Uh, Whether or not you've been here for the last several weeks, uh, here's a recap for you. We're going through the book of Jonah. It's a phenomenal book. I have loved every second of it. Hopefully you have too. But it's essentially the story of these grand themes of the Bible. And it's put them in this very compact way in one person's life. It's the story of the fact that the point of God creating us is that we would be in intimate relationship with Him that we would have a right and a close relationship with God. That was, that was the intention from the start. And then the story of humanity starts very early in Genesis chapter 3, and we see this in the life of Jonah, is that people run from God. That's their, their, the most powerful inclination of their heart from birth is to run from this God who has said, I want intimate relationship with you. That's exactly what Jonah does. But then the story of the Bible, and again, it's encapsulated in in the story of Jonah, is that God does not leave us there. He comes. God pursues. God chases and follows. And God, and we'll see this at the end, the conclusion, God rescues. God, the essence of grace is that God comes and God rescues. 
And we have looked how, how God did that in the life of this individual named Jonah. And now today we're going to look at the fact that God does this also on a larger scale. The story of chapter 3 in Jonah is how it does not just take place, this running from God, this pursuit of God, this dropping down into the pit, and we're going to look at that in a moment, and then God rescuing. It does not just happen for individuals, it also happens for communities. Now, you could, now let's, let's not split hairs. We, we can also acknowledge that it's happening to the individuals in that community. So, so don't hear that the wrong way. Okay, Salvation is for a person, and it is to establish relationship with God. But God, the point being this morning is that God does it sometimes on a large scale. He does it in mass. And that's precisely what we have here. But I want to start with a couple of principles that are behind this particular passage. We're going to walk through them here in chapter 3. The first is this. God cares about communities. I know if you're like me, you probably um, have been in America for at least a decent amount of time. And if you have been in America for a decent amount of time, perhaps even since birth, you have come to believe that Christianity is only for the individual. We are obsessive in America about a focus on the individual, the power of the individual, the, the rights of the individual, you name it. Okay, There are other cultures that are not this way, but that's us. And take it or leave it. <laughs> that's who we are. And because of that, we often lose this idea that God actually cares for groups of people, for communities, for churches, for cities even. I know this can be sometimes hard to grasp. Because we're like, okay, I get it that God loves people, a person. God loves me, maybe. Maybe even come to that point. Um, but honestly, that crazy, wild, raunchy, dirty city, is that actually possible that God could, could love or reach out to the city? And we see here in this story that the answer is absolutely. Now, the, the wording here is interesting, the Hebrew, is, is important for us to grasp. It says, okay, in our passage, in this translation, ESV, which, by the way, is a fantastic translation of the Bible, it says, now, Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Now, there are many scholars, and I'm, gonna, I'm not a scholar, but I'm going to put myself in the camp of these, this one uh, group of scholars that say that it's not actually talking about the size of the city, that it takes three days to journey across. Because that's the impression you get from reading this. That's not what's going on here. What it, the Hebrew, the most accurate, I think, translation of the Hebrew is that it was an exceedingly important city to God. And that when you visited, it would take three days to make your visit. Okay. This word that's translating exceedingly great can also mean important to the gods or a god. And I think that is absolutely the best fit for the context of this passage. What this passage is saying is that Nineveh... God didn't care about Nineveh because it was cool. It was big. Had powerful leaders in it. And God's like, ooh, I want a part of that. I want a piece of that. Not, and not in the least... Right? We're going to learn from this story that, in fact, God was setting himself back up 
as the ruler of this city. What we're seeing here is that this city was important to God. He loved it. And it broke his heart that there was so much evil and injustice taking place in the city of Nineveh. He wanted to see a change. And so he calls this prophet and he says, Jonah, I want you to go into the city. I want you to care. I want you to help them. I want you to bring my grace to them. Y'all, this is... Cities originally were intended to be good places, right? It was not good for a person to live in the woods trying to figure it all out on their own. They needed a place of refuge, a place of safety in numbers. We feel this now, even today, right? There's this beauty to being in a community where you're not alone. You don't have to do everything alone. You need help moving furniture? You can call someone. You need help with meals? Someone can bring it over. It's this thing, it's, it's this creation of safety, of a home for you, where you feel like you belong. That was God's intention for a city. We talk about this in the Discover Christ Central class. It's what God has always wanted. He wants them to be places of justice. You know, it's not just every, every person for themselves out in the wild, right? It's a place of justice. You get harmed by someone, you have recourse, you can do something about it. It's a good thing. Now, there's also cultural development. There's, there's this thing that when we get together, we tend to be more creative. You ever thought about that? We need other people around us to, to really inspire our creative juices. There are also places to be spiritual seeking and finding. Most cities, you will know what they really truly care about by the highest building that is in that current town. In Europe, what you find often are churches. Admittedly, they're restaurants now, but nonetheless, it sends a message. The city sends a message even through its building. Okay, that's just the case I'm laying out. But it's really important for us to grasp. If you're going to get chapter 3, you've got to get this, that God cares about, loves the city of Nineveh, the people in the city of Nineveh, and the cultural things that they had created. He intended for it to be good, to be a place of justice and refuge. And as you might guess, because you live in a city, or near a city at least, I'll I'll say that. I know some of you live out in the county, okay, so fair enough. You live near the city. You know and I know that it goes horribly wrong. That these intentions for God, the way that he loves and wants a city to be, through sin, get completely and utterly reversed. Everybody has experienced this to some degree. And here's my second point. We're already at point two. We're flying. Point two. Communities don't care about God. Point one. God cares about communities. Point two. Communities do not care about God. Let's talk this out. This is a really important point for us to grasp today as we talk about the grace of God. So because people are broken by the fall, the fall into sin, chapter 3 of Genesis, it's true that when they get together, when there's a collective group of people, also sin permeates that group, that community, that place. So a city generally now, instead of being a place of safety and refuge, cities now are places of racism, classism, and violence. Look at downtown Chicago. I wouldn't step there if you paid me. Instead of a place of justice, 
Cities become a place to escape from God and his law. Instead of a place of cultural development, cities are places of pride, arrogance, excess, overwork, and exhaustion. Instead of a place of spiritual finding, they often become places of cults and false beliefs. It's sad but true. One of the shows that best, I think, gets this point across, and I'm not encouraging you to watch this show, okay? So this is, I, I do this all the time, don't I? Right? I'm like, I like protect myself, you know, I say, don't watch it, but House of Cards is a, is a Netflix thing. It's kind of passe now, but um, even if you just watch one episode, not with the kids, the the desire for power, the arrogance and the pride, somehow the directors got that across with gusto in that show. The, the fact that I am, I am okay with committing the most heinous of crimes if I can somehow get a little bit more power and a little bit more control. It is an incredible picture of what takes place. And of course, it's our country, so it's poignant in that, in that story. But y'all, the way that this, this community is not caring about God, the way it's described in our passage is in, cha- in verse 8. Um, the, it's a decree of the king, and he's getting across, okay, he's acknowledging there are serious problems in my city. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God, and here's the key phrases. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. The Hebrew here, th- this is a general term. Evil way is a general term for immoral behavior. So there's lots of really bad... Let's think Vegas. Nineveh had some similarities with Vegas. What happened there Stay there. On top of that, he goes further and he says... Let us turn from the violence that is in our hands. The violence that is in the in hands. That is a, that the Hebrew there is a general term for deep, horrible, oppressive injustice. The rich are literally killing the poor. It is Nineveh, God wants it to be a place of safety and refuge, is a nightmare. Jonah knows this, y'all. It's like Vegas. I mean, when God says, okay, I have a calling for you, my prophet. He's like, okay, that's my, that's my life's calling. Let's do this. He's like, I want you to go to Nineveh. And he's like, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> that is a bed of sin. It is, that is the nastiest, dirtiest, most horrible place you could possibly call me to, God. And you know what I'm most afraid of? You guys remember this from chapter 2, chapter 1 and 2? What was, he, what was Jonah most afraid that would happen in that city? God would forgive them. God would forgive them. He wanted fireballs to rain down. He knew it's what they truly deserved. But he was most afraid that sometime, somehow, God was actually going to show them grace. Hence why we went through in chapter 2, God had to show him grace first. And so here he is entering into the city. A little side note before we move to our final point. How and why do cities get this way? You ever thought about that? How and why do cities get so twisted? How does injustice come so fiercely 
into a place. When we, y'all, we're in Charlottesville. We were literally on the national scene because of this, of what I'm talking about. My, it's too easy for me today to illustrate this. I'm like, you live here. We've seen it. We literally saw people being killed on our streets. They're scary. I w- we were scared to go downtown on August 12th. Okay. Okay, but here we go. How, how, do, we, how do we get this way? How do they get this way? I believe, and I think this is very scriptural, that it's the power of pride. You may have even seen the bumper stickers when we went to the Iraq war, if you're old enough to see these. There was an American flag. People put these on their cars. And if you had one, it's all good. It's all good. I'm not, I'm not making fun of you. But I just wanted to point it out that these were a thing. Do you remember these? Early 90s? The power, it said power of pride on it. And it had an American flag underneath it. Right? It, you cannot describe it any better. As we were going in to bomb people, and I'm not saying anything about whether the war was just or not. I'm just saying we put those bumper stickers on our cars. Y'all, let's say you lived in the woods. Let's say you became a hermit because you just loved cabins. (laughs) And so you built, I mean, seriously, a decent one-room cabin. It had a fireplace that worked. And one night you're in there and you're like, I'm going to find some excellent birch. And you go out there and you find river birch. I don't know if you've ever seen a river birch tree before, but if you take the bark off, it burns like gasoline. It's amazing. And so you get a whole little pile of river birch bark and you get several, you cut down with your bare hands four or five different trees because you're amazing. (laughs) You bring them home because you're strong. And you put them in the fireplace and then all that river birch bark underneath there, and you light it, and it's an amazing fire. And you're thinking to yourself the whole time, I am pretty awesome. You know? Like, I know there's no one for a hundred miles that could tell me that, but I just know it from what I did today. Okay. That happens. You, you probably have had something similar happen to yourself, where you're just like, I'm so good. It's painful. Now, but wait, but wait. Take that hermit, let's say it's you, and move him into the city. Right? What happens when you get around other human beings who can tell you, good job, way to get all that, whoa, you're really strong. You brought all that wood into your house. Okay, are you catching me? Are you catching on here? By the end of the day, you're like, yeah, I should be president. Do you see how much river birch bark I just brought in here? Holy mackerel. Y'all, pride. Well, kids, ready? Pride does this. When you get into a community. This is for the kiddos. Ready? Okay. This is us. We're the balloon. And as you have people in your life who tell you good things, which is fine, right? Your ego does this. Yeah, Calvin, you're right. So this is like your ego. And people are telling you things like, you're so talented, you're so gifted. You're so good at your job. Isn't that, that's pretty amazing, isn't it, Calvin? I'm not going to pop it. I'm not going to pop it. Don't worry, y'all. That would, 
disturb myself included. Okay, so this is what happens when you get into a city. I'm going to give this to you, Calvin. Um, and this is what was happening in Nineveh. When the ego gets inflated, there's this deep sense. This is, think of this as someone's head, right? There's this deep sense in which it's no longer, this is the key point, it's no longer God who accomplished it, it's who? <laughs> well said. Calvin, you want to hang on to this? Try not to pop it, okay? But keep it low because it'll distract everyone in here if we start bouncing that around. Here we go. You ready? This is for all of us. Politics. That one's too easy. I admit it. That's a softball. person rises to power and then they inspire pride in the people they represent. It's why we have such a polarization in, in this uh, and I'm not talking one side or the other, y'all. I'm talking, I don't care what affiliation you are. It happens. I mean, there's a, there's a destruction of pride when your candidate loses, and there's a, is an inflation of pride when your candidate wins, okay? I'm just talking about it. Business. I've literally heard people say that's where true evil resides, is in big business, right? Because why? Because people at the top get prideful. Um, Apple, Google, Amazon, that's where real evil exists. And it's true. There's horrible things that happen when a company gets big. Um, sports teams, ooh, ouch, that one hurts. Y'all, y'all, I'm just going to make a confession. It's time to repent, Um, because that's what's going to happen in Nineveh, so might as well just get out of the way. I was at my son's baseball game. Hunter, is that your game? I'm just talking about my heart. So I'm sitting up there, and their team is doing poorly. Bless your heart. Uh... (laughs) And they just kept making unforced errors, right? It was driving me bonkers, especially the catcher. Never throw to third base if you're under the age of 15. This is a rule that all coaches should just know and teach their students. So I'm up there in the bench watching this game, and I am so frustrated. I am literally, y'all, I'm not kidding. I'm having thoughts of ways I could hurt the other coach. I know. It's terrible. It's terrible. And not like, not like kill. But just, you know, just, just get his mouth to stop moving. Because they weren't, they weren't just winning. They weren't just winning. But you know, you ever been in those sports games? I don't know if you played in them or your kids played in them. But where the, the coach on the opposing team is like, we, we don't want to just win. We want to like make it humiliating for you. So they were, we would, you know, throw the ball nonchalantly to the pitcher and he would stand there and it's like he's getting ready for his next pitch and then they would steal bases left and right and go home and we were missing passes and they were just running the score up just because they could. You ever been at one of those? The power of pride. Thank the Lord we have Tony Bennett as our coach. Y'all, we would be in trouble without that guy. I mean, he's got at least some modicum of humility. Praise, praise the Lord. How about schools? We're taking pride in schools. We, I'm sure no one here does from the school down the street, right? Um, and how about, here? let's indict ourselves, churches, y'all. What's the worst thing that could happen to our church? Here's the worst thing when it comes to presenting the gospel, being a light for the city, loving Jesus Christ. Grow fast. 
it would be terrible for us to grow fast. Because it, 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 our, our, this, this becomes us. Thank you for letting me borrow this. This is, what, this is what happens to a church when you grow fast. We can't help it, y'all. It's just how the sin works within our hearts. We think we did it. That there's something we have to offer. There's something, it's not God who is taking the credit for it. Okay, I got to conclude this point. Oh, yeah, Melanie's like, I'm sorry, Melanie. Uh, That's completely my fault. Yeah. Okay, so final point, final point. The first thing we talked about today is that God cares about communities, about cities. The second thing we talked about is that because of the power of pride, communities do not care about God. When we get together and do something, anything, we're like, we did that. I did that. We're awesome. We're amazing. Right? And where's God in that equation? Nowhere. Finally, God's grace changes individuals and God's grace changes communities. God sends in Jonah into the city of Nineveh and he does the worst job of evangelism I have ever encountered. Horrible. Here's what he says. In 40 days, the city will be overthrown. I'm like, seriously? This is it? (laughs) I'm like, like, you didn't do any pre-evangelism? You didn't have dinner at your house? Like, you didn't explain creation, fall, redemption? Like, this is bad. But... I think the point that the book of Jonah is getting across for even us today is that it was not the words of Jonah. It was what God was doing in the hearts of the people. God had already prepared the city of Nineveh for the words of Jonah when he came in. And all he said was, now in the Hebrew, this can be translated two different ways. In our version of this translation, it says, in 40 days the city will be overthrown, That same word for overthrown can also mean have a change of heart. So there's definitely a double entendre going on here. There is a play on words. He's saying in 40 days the city will be overthrown and the city will have a change of heart. What is going on in Nineveh? Essentially, it is a humbling I'm not going to do it because it would cause too much of a disruption. But basically, God is saying in 40 days, pop the balloon. Y'all, repentance. It's this word, it's a very churchy word, so let's define it. Repentance is this idea of being humbled. It is, the Bible talks about it as turning from sin, turning away from sin. But it always and forever, we saw from Jonah, right? Where was Jonah in chapter 2? What was part of his humbling and learning grace? Anybody remember? Where'd he go? Anyone? Anyone? Fish. Thank you. Yes. And before that, he was in the ocean. He was in the darkness, the chaos. Right? There's a going down. There's a death that occurs for those that are going to experience God's grace. The same thing happens for the city of Nineveh. There's a humbling. Y'all, our culture loves to say, oh, that's so ridiculous. Oh, this God, oh, oh, the God of wrath and anger. Oh, he's, he's going to be mad at you if you don't put on some sackcloth. And, you, you know, and, and isn't that just the most ridiculous thing you've ever heard? Absolutely not. 
It is the creator God of the universe saying, it's time for you to get back in the rightful place you've always needed to be. I made you and I have shown you what is right. And I have been in relationship with you and you have completely run away from me and abandoned me. There is a humbling that must take place before the grace of God comes in. And they, they by, his, by his grace, they got it. Sackcloth, we're concluding with this. Boom. Sackcloth, ashes, and fasting. Let's talk about it. Anybody worn sackcloth before? Okay, fine. Let's use our imagination. Can anyone imagine what it would be like to wear sackcloth? You know what sackcloth is? Burlap. Let's, let's use burlap. I think that's a good one, right? And what would be the point of putting on burlap? Yeah, it's just going to be horrible to wear, right? It's super itchy. You are just going to be in despair, essentially. Now, fasting, not eating food. Who here likes to not eat food? Anyone? 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 So what's the point of fasting? Anyone? Got to think about this. I had to think about this this week, too. Like, what in the world? What are they fasting from? They're giving up comfort. That's at least part of it. It's true even with the sackcloth. But what the people were trying to express physically was that there was an emotional and spiritual thing happening inside of them. And that is... They were being humbled. They were returning to their true position before God, which is, I have nothing. That's where every individual and every community ultimately stands before God. We have nothing, and we stand before you in humility. Every time a revival breaks out, there's been several in the history of America. There's the Great Awakening. There was the Azusa Street Revival that happened in California. It is always, without fail, through confession of sin and a humbling of the people before God. Saying, we thought we knew how to do our lives. We have no clue. And that is what you're seeing for the people of Nineveh when they put on sackcloth and they fast before God. They're saying, God, reset button. We thought we had it figured out. But we're admitting even the king is getting off of his throne and putting on sackcloth and fasting. And they're admitting before God, we don't understand life. We are trying to find happiness in exploitation of other people. We are trying to find goodness in hoarding and massing goods for ourselves and not sharing with anyone. We could care less about the poor. There is nothing that concerns our minds but self, 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 self all the time. And their reset button. You see how sackcloth fasting gets across that message just physically? It's time for me to give. It's time for me to serve. It's time for me to care less about myself and more about the will of God. Y'all, here it is. Not, sorry, 
not the blower. The, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ is the ultimate picture of giving up. It's what the Ninevites, by God's mercy and grace, were starting to do. They were giving up to God. They were sacrificing to Him. And here's the beauty of it all. God always, always, always restores. He always brings back true comfort, true happiness, true forgiveness, true love. It's not this fake stuff that you can buy on the street. It's from Jesus Christ alone and what He has done for us. Let's come now to the table and receive from God. And y'all, we're gonna, in just a minute, we're going to collectively repent. It's called the confession of sin. And then we're going to spend some time individually repenting before God. My prayer for our church is that we would be really good at it. Just awesome at it. Like put on some sackcloth and fast in your heart today before God. Humble yourself before Him because He, He will restore you. He will bring the happiness that you truly long for through His Son, Jesus Christ. Let's go to Him now. Lord God, I pray that You would wake us up. Wake me up, Lord. We We are just spiritually sleepy as a church, as individuals, as a city, as a, as a commonwealth, as a nation. Um, as we see from this story, even in Nineveh, Lord, we need you to wake us up. We need you to pop our balloon of pride so that we can freshly experience the grace of Jesus Christ. And so we ask, Lord, that you would pop our balloon of pride. No matter how painful it is, no matter how revealing it is, no matter how exhausting it is, Lord, we want you more than anything else. And you have made a way through your Son, Jesus Christ. May we cling to him this morning as we come to the table. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.